Okay, team, are we ready? Ready to get in the game? Uh, I'm excited to be with you. So fun to be with everybody in this room. For those of you online, for folks at our campuses that are joining us from San Jose and Saratoga and San Mateo and Mountain View, uh, glad to be with you today. And we are in this series, as has been mentioned, Get in the Game. And we're having a lot of fun with it. Okay, don't make me use this whistle. I have it on here. Um, but I promise, I know not everybody is a sports person, so uh, we'll try to keep the technical jargon to a minimum today, but um, just want to help you get a sense of what God might have for you. And today's message is really simple, okay? Um, I want you to know that if you're a Jesus follower, you have an important role to play in the work that God is doing in the world. And living your best life means jumping into that role with both feet. To put it in coaching terms, Jesus wants you on his team and he wants you to give 110%. Now, I know that's impossible, but coaches are more into motivating than actual math, okay? 110%. But to begin, uh, I want to acknowledge that the past couple of years spent living through a pandemic have disrupted our world and changed us in profound ways. And it's not necessarily all bad stuff, but according to researchers, a lot of it isn't good. There's been a 25% increase in depression and anxiety. We've seen a rise in incivility and rudeness. We probably all have experienced some of that, which may be due to the chronic exposure to stress and anxiety, uh, the news and all the things that we see every day. The number of people who report having 10 or more close friends is down to 13%. And we replace more and more face-to-face -face contact with virtual interaction, and people report a sense of social displacement. So when that stuff happens, we're faced with fear and anxiety, and for all of us, we tend to seek safety. That makes sense, right? We tend to withdraw, are a little more tentative, and this is understandable because we've all been through a lot. And I know everybody uh, listening to this sermon right now has a story to tell about the last two years and how it affected you. So where do we go from here? Well, our God is not a God of fear. One of the most repeated commands in the Bible is, fear not. Why is that? Because we need to hear it. God knows us, loves us, and is present with us. And he wants us to know that and to not fear. He said this to Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's something we need to hear. And it goes even further than that. Jesus wants even more for us than just to not live with fear. In John's gospel, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he uses sheep as a metaphor for his followers. And he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants more for us than just living in the absence of fear. He wants to give us life to the full, life that is 
life. It's life at 110%. I love the way Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers and historians put it, the glory of God is man fully alive. Now the apostle Paul gives us a picture of this kind of life. He expresses it through athletic imagery, which is really fun for me today because we get to talk about that and dig a little deeper into these words that Paul shares with the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter three. And I hope that Paul's words inspire you to get out on the field and play your heart out. So listen to these words from Philippians 3. Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his deaths, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would now bless those words and make them real to our hearts through the power of your spirit. Amen. Now, there's three observations I want to make in what Paul is saying here that will help us. And what I want you to know is that Paul knows what he wants. Paul knows what he wants. He knows what it's going to take. And he knows where he's going. He knows what he wants. He knows what it's going to take. And he knows where he's going. Let's start with the first one. Paul knows what he wants. He has a goal, and he says it straight out. He wants to know Christ, to be connected to God as deeply as possible, to resonate with his passions, to experience his pain, to sense his power working in his life. Paul's not indecisive or confused. He has a clear focus and knows what he wants. And he knows that this goal is more important than anything else in his life. Here's how he puts it a little earlier in this Philippians 3 passage. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, the word garbage in this passage is actually a very soft way to put what Paul really says here, but you get the point. Paul has experienced a desire to know Jesus that has overwhelmed every other desire in his life. Jesus told a parable that expresses the same kind of passion. In Matthew 13, he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything that he had had and bought it. So the question before you and I is, do you want Christ more deeply and fully? Do you want what Paul wanted? Is that what you really want in your heart, really? 
that kind of connection with Jesus? Because that's where it has to start. It starts with that desire to want to know Jesus more because Jesus really is the answer. I know it's trite and it's simplistic, but it's true. Jesus is the only one that really knows you, understands you, forgives you, loves you, and died for you. He's the only one that will hold your hand as you leave this world and will walk with you into the next. The enemy wants to fill you with despair, but Jesus, our good shepherd, wants you to live a life that is fully and really life in a way that the thief can't get to you. But you have to want it. You have to listen for his voice and forget all the other voices that call out to you. That pearl must be so valuable that you're willing to sell everything to get it. Paul lived his life following all the religious practices and laws of the day. He had power and influence and resources. And yet, and yet, after an experience with Jesus, he was wrecked. All he wanted was more Jesus. How about you? How about you? Well, Paul knows in order to get more Jesus, it's going to take something difficult. But he is committed and engaged. Paul knows what it's going to take to reach his goal. He says, I press on. I'm straining ahead. And it will take straining and effort. Jesus never says anything about easy. I'm sorry. I wish it were in the Bible. I've looked. Not there. And this is not an academic exercise for Paul. He is giving his all in pursuit of this goal. His time, his energy, his thoughts, his words. He's sacrificing everything, including literally putting his life on the line every day. He was facing death and imprisonment every day. If you want something bad enough, if you want to see change in your life, if you want to live the life that God has for you, then you ha it has to be more than just a good idea that you'll get around to when you have time. You know, I have lots of things in my life that I want. I want to lose weight. I want to be a better writer. I want to play more than five songs on the guitar. But I never honestly put in the kind of time and effort to make any of them happen. Folks who are serious about life change know you have to be committed. This past March, um, my father passed away after a battle with cancer. And earlier in his life, he had fought another battle. This one was with alcohol. And I'm glad to say it had a different outcome. And one of the legacies that my dad left for me was the courage to do whatever it takes to live a life free from bondage. I'll have that with me for the rest of my days. But one of inspirations for my dad was AA, and there's a wonderful way that they put it here. It's from the big book, chapter five. If you have decided that you want what we already have and are willing to go through any length to get it and are ready to take certain 
are ready to take certain steps. This is where the 12 steps come in. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you, be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it's too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked him his protection and care with complete abandon. To be free from alcohol, to have that kind of change, you've got to let go of everything and fall into God's mercy with complete abandon. And it's similar for us to follow Jesus, to live the life he wants. We have to let go of everything. Following in the ways of Jesus is not easy. And Paul reminds us that to become like Jesus will involve hardship and at times suffering. Jesus warned the crowds who were following him when he said this to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must be willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will will save it. The enemy is cunning and baffling and powerful, but our God is greater. Do you believe that? And he will turn our hardship and our sacrifice into something beautiful for the kingdom. Jesus knew we'd have trouble. He said it, but he also reminded us that he has overcome the world. Author Philip Yancey, in an address to graduates at Wheaton College recently, um, encouraged them to go out and enter into the difficult and hard places of the world to bring God's hope and redemption. And he said this as he was telling his stories. He said, pain redeemed impresses me more than pain avoided. Pain redeemed impresses me more than pain avoided. Running from difficult things does not help us move toward Jesus. But when he uses our pain for his purposes, and when he steps in and heals our brokenness, we draw closer and understand his heart more fully. And Paul experienced this time and again, yet he was so committed to his knowing Christ that he kept at it. He saw the way he could get closer to Jesus through these experiences, straining and reaching for that prize that he knew was worth it. He was on the field playing his heart out. Third thing we see from Paul here is that he knows where he's going. And he knows that this is a destination that will take his whole life. Not that I've arrived there yet, he says, but Paul's committed to the long game. He's committed to the long game. Not that I've arrived there yet. Now, 
Uh, Our family, we do a lot of road trips. And, uh, you know, when my kids are on, you know, in the back seats of the van, the question they always ask, come on, we all know it, everybody always, are we there yet, right? Are we there yet? And uh, I know what this means. This means they're frustrated, they're tired, they're bored, they're ready to be done. And so if it's an hour, I tell them it's 20 minutes. Because an hour will discourage them. So they call me, my children think I'm a liar. And I kind of am. But I think I'm a time optimist. That's how I describe it. But we all... Ask that question, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And we want to be there. And Paul says, I'm not there yet, but I'm not giving up. This is a long haul. This is a long haul game. This is a marathon, not a sprint. God's work in our lives takes time and requires a long view. It's not a box that we can check and be done with. And I know, I know, uh, that could be a challenging word. (laughs) But along the way, along the way, you will be changed. And along the way, there'll be mistakes, right? There'll be challenges and wrong turns. And Paul understands that the long road means you might get knocked down, but Paul is going to keep his eyes focused on the prize, focused on what is ahead and the promised hope. He will not let, he will let go of the past and not let it be a burden for him. Now, this seems like a great time for a quote from one of my favorite coaches, Ted Lasso. He says, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? It's got a memory like for 10 seconds. It's got a 10 second memory. Happiest fish on earth, happiest creature on earth. Paul says, I'm forgetting what's past. I'm not looking to let that be a burden for me. And remember, Paul has a past and some things he would really, really, really want to forget. Remember that He hunted down Christians. He was was an enemy to the gospel for most of his life. And yet, and yet that all turned on that road to Damascus when Jesus got a hold of him. And if he focused on the past and all those terrible things that he had done, it would wreck him. But he knows he's a new creation And he wakes up every day knowing his identity is in Christ. And every day he knows he can know Jesus a little more deeply and serve his work in the world a little more faithfully. And so maybe there's things in the past that you need to let go of so that you can reach to what God has for you now and in the future. You know, when we take the long view, we also remember that there are seasons when maybe we need to come off the field One of the things my coaches would say to me is, hey, Scott, we all play with pain, amen? But if you're injured, you need to get off the field and get out of the game. Pain and injury are different. And God knows what you need for the season that you're in. 
And when we take the long view, we also recognize and are reminded that there is no retirement in the Bible, I'm sorry to say. No easy and no retirement. Again, I've looked, okay? As the saying goes, if you're not dead, you're not done. There is something for you to do. It might look different than what you did a decade ago or two decades ago or whenever, but there is something for you. And I know that many of you who are watching us, who are in this room, have put your heart and soul into serving Christ for decades. And I am so thankful and I am so grateful and you inspire me. So whatever season you're in, keep going. We're playing the long game. Jesus knows what you need and he wants to be with you and has a role for you wherever you may be. So we may have different seasons. We may be playing different positions, but we press on. And whatever's in your past, whatever you may be struggling with right now, however old you might be, God has a place for you. God has a place for you. Now, a caveat here. Whenever we talk about what we can do for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel, we need to remember something really important here, and that is Paul is not straining or pressing on to get on God's good side. He's not buttering God up. He understands that any favor that he gets from God is from God's grace. God's grace, God loves him and claims him because of the work that Jesus has already done. Paul's motivation comes from his deep gratitude for what he has received. Jesus took hold of him, he says, and that changed his life. And if you're not motivated by that kind of gratitude, I wonder if you really understand what God has done for you. You've been literally saved from destruction and death. You've, you've been offered eternal hope and the presence of Jesus and the power of God's spirit in your life. And it's offered as a gift paid through Jesus giving his life for you. Which means that God loves you completely right now. And if you open your heart to Jesus, that will never go away. On or off the field. Do you believe that? Do you hold on to that? Because if you do, you can't help but be, filling, be filled with gratitude. And so we run out onto the field as, as a grateful response to grace, knowing that this is where God will meet us and transform us and we'll, live, we'll find life to the full. Now, at this point, hopefully, some of you are asking, where is this field and how do I get there? I'm glad you asked. First, I want to say there are lots of ways to further God's work in the world, and each of us has a unique and special story. We're all unique and special. We're born with certain abilities, in specific places, and with unique experiences. And that means that there is part of God's work in this world that you are uniquely suited to do. We also have a sense of the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life that helps us sort of know maybe this is what you want me to do, God. We also have a sense maybe of where God is leading us by what gives us passion and energy. 
The Apostle Paul uh, describes certain ways that the Spirit, certain ways the Spirit gifts us for work. These are called spiritual gifts. We talk about those at starting point. Author Frederick Buechner has a great line that I love when I think about this. He says, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness, the things that, that fill your heart with joy, the things that give, you have passion around, meets the world's deep hunger. So in some ways, when you think about that, it's a really big playing field. And we're going to talk about that more in this series, especially towards the end. But we also have this gift of the local church. You know, God called together a group of people with a vision to proclaim the gospel in Menlo Park a long time ago. And that became Menlo Church. And over the years, he's called us to other communities, Mountain View and San Mateo, Saratoga, San Jose, South San Francisco. And whether you've been here for a long time or whether this is your first Sunday here, God continues to call people like you into this community. You're here for a reason. It's not random. It's not a mistake. And if you call this place home and believe our calling as a community, believe in our calling as a community, then you have a position to play right here. Right here. And we want to help you find it. That's part of what we do as a church. As I mentioned in our starting point class, um, which we offer at every campus in the fall, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and places to serve. And you can jump in to a life group where you can talk with folks who are friends and fellow followers of Jesus about what your calling might be and help discern that. We seek God's will together uh, as we pray for one another and ask God to reveal that to our hearts. Um, you can talk to any of our pastors or staff about you know, where you might be led to serve. In fact, this is one of the primary tasks of our staff is to help all of us find our place in God's work. Now, sometimes you just need to try something out and see where God might lead you. And you might be surprised. I remember talking to one of our folks early on when we launched the Mountain View campus. Now, at that time, our great need was in the area of kids' ministry. And this, this woman wasn't so sure that was her calling, her gifting, or her passion at the time. But you know what? She said, I'm in. I'll do whatever it takes because I believe in the mission of what we're doing. So she gave it a try. And in doing that, in jumping in, God revealed a passion to her. God revealed a gifting and a desire in her heart that she didn't even know was there. Sometimes we just have to take a step. I know some of you discovered that. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, Lord. Sometimes God equips us and gives us passion as we surrender to him. So maybe that's it. But whatever it is, whatever it is, we have a place for you. So to sum it up, guys, to sum it up, let's get in the game, not because we feel guilty, not because someone twisted your arm, not because it will make God like you more. We get in the game because that's where you'll find the presence and power of Jesus in real time. That's where you'll be transformed and shaped into who you were meant to be. That's where Jesus says, if you give your life to him, fully, you will find life to the full. 
Not an easy life, not a simple life, but an adventure, life that is life. So are you ready to step up and say, put me in, coach? Are you ready? We're going to go on this adventure together. Let's do it. Yeah. Blow the whistle. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you for, first of all, saving us. For your promise of your presence with us. And God, I pray and I know that my heart doesn't always want to know you more at the top of the list. So God, I'd ask that you continue to to stoke in me that passion to follow you, to love you, to want more of you like the Apostle Paul. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of your kingdom. And we want this life to the full that you promise. God, we want it. And we want to see what you're going to do in the world through us. So I pray for each person who's in this room and watching this sermon. God, that you would help us find our place. Because we know that there's no bench, no sideline. We are all in the game and we want to be in your game. And so God, help us to find our place and keep us encouraged. And may your will be done in us and this world as we do that. We pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen.